Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. The book of Romans chapter 14 is where we start our conversation today. Romans 14, I'll read from verse 13 to 23. I'm going to read New Living Translation just because I think it, you know, best portrays or says what it is I'm trying to explain today. The New King James Version or the King James Version of this particular scripture is a bit uh, is a bit weird, just a little bit weird. So Romans chapter 14 from verse 13 to 23. So the Bible says this. So let's stop condemning each other. For some of you, that's a sermon in itself. Let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, You're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a popular verse. The kingdom of God is not in food or drink, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, if you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please him and others will approve of you too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else, anything else, if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe that nothing, there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it to yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it for you are not following your convictions if you do anything you believe is not right you are sinning all right so i heard something i heard a comment once someone made a comment that made me pause okay gave me pause and made me think but it was kind of heartbreaking when i thought about it because i actually tend to agree with that comment and what the person said was this the person said this that there will be more apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, all right, in the church in the last days than Christians. There will be more people who have big titles, who serve in, you know, all these high capacities, your pastor, your prophet, your teacher, you're an evangelist, you know, um, you're a bishop. There will be more people who carry the titles, all right, um, of ministry in the last days than actual Christians. And what that really means, he's talking about, that person was talking about practical Christianity. Was talking about practical Christianity because Christianity is being like Christ. So there are people who would, you know, have all the signs, all right, all the trappings of ministry or of being a follower of Jesus Christ. But in reality, their lives practically does not or do not reflect all right, the ways of Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 4 and 19. He says, my little children, my little children. He says, for whom I labor in birth again, birth again, until Christ is formed in you. So Paul is saying to the Galatians here that you, I labored in birth for you once, but I'm laboring again. So the first birth, obviously, is you're born into the family of God. You give your heart to Jesus. You become a born-again Christian. You're a child of God. But Paul says that that's not the end of my labor over you. My The ultimate goal and the objective I have in laboring over you is that Christ be formed in you, that you become conformed 
to the image of Christ. And so when people look at you and they can say, this is a Christian, not because you have a title, but because you look like Christ, but because your your disposition and your life and your the way you conduct yourself is Christ-like. All right. So many people would have titles. Oh, I'm a prophet. I'm a senior prophet. I even the people who are master prophets these days. Just ordinary prophet is not enough of a title. I'm a duplicate prophet. I'm a very special prophet. I'm an anointed one. And whatever title you go by, there'll be many people in the last days in the body of Christ that would have all these titles. But the truth is that there'll be less Christians in the church than the number of people that have titles because Christianity, not doctrinally, practically is not so much about the titles you carry it's about how much does your life resemble the life of jesus so when the person said that to me i understand that you are a practical christian like i said not doctrinal practical christian to the extent to which your life resembles jesus to the extent to which christ has been formed has been formed in you and this is the premise this is the foundation this is a building block and the cornerstone of our conversation today is that as we strive to become christians as we strive to be christians in practice not just in you know in word or by title that certain things would need to happen in our lives and those are some of the things we need to talk about today and so the text that we read i'll give you a bit of context there paul is addressing this church in rome you have to understand think back okay think back to the old testament you realize that based on the law of moses there were a lot of things that were forbidden for them to eat you couldn't eat certain items a lot of food items were crossed off the list of acceptable you know food that the people of israel or the jews could consume and so here you are now you find that you found this new liberty in christ the law of moses love moses where has expired there is now a new law um that you are under the covenant of jesus by the blood of jesus christ and there was disputes in the church as you can imagine as we continue to have today all right on different issues about is it right to eat this is it a sin to eat this is it wrong to do this is it right to do that and so because of that there had there has been conflict people some people had you know a, a position that yes we've been granted liberty in christ it's okay for us to eat anything now which was the position of paul by the way and there were some other people who did not yet have that view they felt like they were convicted when they ate certain things because maybe it was a you know it was an abomination in the law of moses and things like that and so this was a very real discussion and we have those discussions today there are things that christians still debate is it wrong is it right is it okay if i do this is it okay if i do that there's some things that are not so clear in scripture that we debate or we go back and forth about and it boils down to convictions is what paul is saying he's saying that this is where your christian walk your your life and your relationship with the holy spirit plays a huge role because for everyone it might be different not on doctrine by the way so let's let me just clarify that don't say you know as, as far as i'm concerned if you, if you tell me that I'll, I'll pray for you oh that oh the holy spirit ministered to me that jesus did not die and and rise from the dead now that that is that is heresy <laughs> to the, that's the demonic doctrine okay that's not christianity so you cannot have an opinion about things like was jesus born of a virgin was he the son of god did he live a sinless life did he die for our sins and did he rise on the third day you can't have you cannot have misgivings about the person of god and the trinity you can't have misgivings about certain things because it's so clear it's explicit in the bible the bible says there is no other way under heaven under heaven by which man must be saved so there's no other way to god those are th certain things that we cannot debate about if we start to debate those things then we need to talk about the fact if someone is actually saved or not but beyond those there are a lot of things we come into in christianity and people debate people debate all kinds of different topics people actually debate things like as as what we think is as basic as water baptism some people debate tithing some people debate you know prayers or faith you know what does what is the theology around faith so there are all these different dimensions of things that people do debate obviously the bible when people study the bible well enough and i'm not saying they read one verse because sometimes people pick a verse of scripture and say ha i found it <laughs> this is what the bible says no 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 you can never read the bible that way neither should you apply the bible that way you must understand and study the whole body of truth around a subject before you can establish what the mind of god is, is on an issue out of context interpretation very prevalent in the church today and even <laughs> the strangest thing ever is that you, uh, you know you go on social media and you listen to people who um their, their objective is to correct pastors okay they're, they're they're on social media for the intent 
gift of correcting wrong doctrine in the church. And I listen to them for five minutes and I can pick already five wrong doctrines in what they've just said. So I'm like, if you're going to if you're going to correct doctrine, at least have an idea of what you're saying. But for most of us young people, please let me just warn you. This is I wasn't going to go there, but let me just say while I'm here that just because you see someone on social media saying this is wrong, this pastor says it's wrong, and they have all these high-sounding nonsense does not mean that they're balanced. The only way you can know that someone is balanced is if you carry this word. Oh, sorry, this iPad. This word, okay? And read it for yourself. You read it well. Study. Not just read. Study the Bible. Because sometimes you can read the Bible and misunderstand. But if you study with the help of the Holy Spirit, the mind of God will come to you. All right? Anyways, so the point I was trying to make is... So Paul was trying to address this crisis in that church. Stop this dispute about this is wrong. This is right. We can eat anything. We have liberty in Christ. Oh, we can't because the Bible or the law of Moses is his. And Paul was saying to the people that, hey, pay attention. If to you, your conviction is that it's right, you have the liberty in Christ, you've gotten to that level of revelation about the liberty of the work that Jesus Christ did for you, then that's fantastic. To you, it's okay. But if to this person, he still feels convicted and guilty when he eats this particular, you know, these, these particular items, then he says to him, it is sin. But what you should not do is take your conviction, take your revelation, take the liberty you have, take your freedom and impose it upon them. I'll give you an example. If for some reason I've come to a place of personal conviction that I should give God 25% of my income. That's my personal conviction based on my work with God you know where i am in my work with god at this point in my life let's assume it is now it would be wrong for me what paul is saying it's, it'll be wrong for me to come before people and say if you don't give god 25 percent of your income you are wrong you're sinning you're going to be cursed with a curse you're not going to you're not going to heaven paul says no you are not allowed to do that if you have a you come to a place of conviction on an issue that is in dispute especially when you have fragile christians around he says keep it between you and god so I wonder how many things we start talking about, especially when we go on social media and start forming views about things that should have been between us and God. But that's not my conversation today. So that was the first thing Paul said in settling this issue. He said, look, let it be between you and God. All right. But the second thing he says is this, that let's assume that you have come to a place of understanding and revelation. You are a mature Christian. You have a rema of the finished work of Jesus Christ in your life and as a result of that rema, you understand that you have the freedom to do certain things. He said that if you're doing that thing, it's going to cause your brother or your sister to stumble, to struggle, to lose faith. He says you should refrain from doing it. Ha. He's basically saying to you that it's okay for you to know your rights in God, okay? I know my rights in God. I know the things I'm allowed to freely do. The Bible says things that have been freely given to us. All right. But he says it's not okay for you to enforce your rights if it's going to be to the detriment of another brother or sister. That is an amazing thing to understand because, in other words, your love for somebody else must be greater than how you care about enforcing your rights. Just because you it's your right does not mean that you have to enforce it. Just because it's your right does not mean that you have to do it. He says that you must give consideration. You must give thought, careful thought and reason to the person or people who are exposed to you living out your Christian liberties. If it causes them to be offended or to stumble, Paul says, do not do it. Amazing, isn't it? And, and, and he goes on to say, actually, he says this in Galatians. He actually says also, I think, to the church in Corinth that if eating meat would cause my brother to stumble, then I will never eat meat again. But the, the background here or the foundation of this, this line of thought and this doctrine that Paul is teaching these people is love. Is love. So it's okay for you to know your right. So this is a generation of freedoms. All our, our liberties we are, are sacred to us. All right. Sacrosanct. I cannot allow anybody ever to violate my human rights and my personal rights. But Paul is saying that it's okay to know your rights. Actually, it's maturity to know the things that you have in God. But he says that if that is going to cause someone else to stumble, then you should hold off on enforcing your rights. Know your rights, but live for others. That's what he was saying. Know your right, but live for others. I'll give you a classic example. So husband and wife, you're married. Of course, because you're married, you're allowed to kiss and you know do what married people do, that kind of stuff. Now, it's your right to kiss. All right. 
you've married this human being you've gone to the altar you've so you swore an oath you're going to die for them your life for their life all that jazz that you people do and so <laughs> and so it would be wrong however even though it's my right for me to come into the midst of someone let's assume i know someone is struggling with lust and then i now come and start to kiss or french kiss my wife in front of that person paul is saying you have every right to you have every right to eat meat if you want, but if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, he says, refrain from doing it. And the background for this is the command of the commandment of love. Commandment of love. So the rule of thumb is that you should avoid what causes others to stumble. Of course, the title of our conversation today is others, others, others. No matter how much you enjoy it or how convinced you are that it is right. Huh. Whatever causes someone else to stumble. Paul says, avoid it, no matter how much you enjoy it or how convinced you are that it is okay with God. But nothing points to practical Christianity more than how we live for others. Remember I said to you at the beginning that the objective of Christianity is that Christ becomes formed in us? Nothing says that Christ has been formed in you more than how selfless you are. That is the epitome of Christianity. It's not tongues. All right, it's not how many scriptures you know. No, it's about how much Christ has been formed in you. How conformed are you to the Christ? And if you are conformed to the Christ, you would live a life that is selfless because that's one of the predominant, all right, and the dominant characteristics of Jesus was his selflessness until Christ is formed in you. Nothing says Christ is formed in a person more than how they live for others. So my challenge to you today is we need to migrate from a self-centered approach to Christianity to a life where we live for others. It's about others. Paul says meat. Can you imagine? Meat is so... Sp I remember my wife went on this pescatarian diet um, some years back. We're fairly new in our, wedding, in our marriage then. Um, and she says, well, I'm just going to eat fish. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to... Far be it from me to stand in the way of your pescatarian ways. All right. But the only challenge <laughs> is if I don't see meat in this house. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't care if you're offended by my meat eating. Please, I gotta eat meat. I'm not not doing this pescatarian lifestyle. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, it, was a, it was a thing. Well, God bless her. She was kind enough to always settle me um, and my meat issues. I'm sure God was looking at me like this guy has obviously not read scripture. Anyways, that's not the application, but you get point I'm trying to make. As we grow, we become conformed to the image of Jesus, and one of the things. That happens in our life is that we become more selfless we get stripped of selfishness over time you know let me tell you a story a true life story about a particular ship called the rms empress of ireland rms empress of ireland now this particular ship i think it the, this particular incident happened in 1914 it must have been in may 1914 i believe the dates are i'm 100 sure on date, but i think it's in, on the 29th of may in 1914 i read about this some time ago now this ship all right, true life story. So this is not fiction. This this ship was sailing from Quebec City, here in, in Canada, to Liverpool, all right, in England. And along the line somewhere, even before it left Canada before it left Canadian waters, got into an accident. Another ship basically came and hit it on the side. It was a collision because there was heavy fog. And it was in the you know, it, it was May, all right? Heavy fog at about one AM in the middle of the night. Visibility was low, hit the ship. And because of the position in which the um, the RMS Empress was hit, which was somewhere in the middle on the side, this other ship hit it head on, just you know, like a T or called a T bone, um, you know. The boat, I mean, the ship was destroyed. By the way, there were about fourteen hundred people on board. The ship had multiple layers: first class cabin, second class cabin. It was huge. It was almost like the Titanic, right? And this was a couple years after the Titanic, I think, had sunk. Um, and there was damage, obviously, due to the impact of this other ship colliding with it. The other ship was okay. It was damaged, but okay. This other ship started to take on water at an alarming rate. And I understand that in under 30 minutes, the ship was underwater. The entire ship was underwater. And a thousand plus people died. About 400 and so people survived the, 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 the incident. But what, one of the things that was, you know, amazing from the story, um, as I read, read you know, in a, in a book about this, was that there were about 197 members on board that ship of the Canadian Salvation Army Band. 197 or so members. Only eight survived, I'm told. But one of the interesting things about the situation was as they started to, of course, take on water, some people were able to get out. Of, some people, a lot of people, most of the people that died, died in their own cabins because it happened so quickly 
they couldn't even get out but a couple of people a few people were able to come out get lifeboats and all that get up get on the on the, on the water but it was told that there were members of the Canadian Salvation Army band that were on that ship who had their life jackets on because they were able to get out and they were swimming through this cold freezing cold water and they would go to people who were obviously without life jackets and they would ask them do you know Jesus and if they said yes they left them alone and if the person said no this is a true story they'll take off their life jacket and give it to this person who doesn't know Jesus because they figure that it's more important for you to survive than for me to survive because I already know Jesus I know my faith I know where I'm going but for you I'm going to sacrifice my life so that you have an opportunity to still repent and meet Jesus can you imagine that this is this is not fiction can you compare that level of christianity that understanding of christianity to what we are branding around and brandishing in our churches these days where everything is about triple breakthrough and quadruple honor and double for this and and all that ridiculous stuff that we like so much not to say god doesn't want to give you a breakthrough but the truth is that at the root of christianity is love for others is a passionate heart it's and it's you you cannot reconcile the kind of love that you're meant to have for other people when christ has been formed in you so there shouldn't be there actually there is no brand of christianity practical christianity like i said not doctrinal christianity practical christianity that is self-centered when we when we have you know christians who don't understand that they are meant to live for others that is not practical christianity that is something else i don't know what it is but it definitely is not practical christianity you're not saved for yourself alone you're saved for others self-centered christianity should be extinct it should not exist it should it should be strange to see but that's the common thing right now because what has happened i don't blame i don't blame the the, the people i blame you know leaders because pastors have gotten to a place where they feel like if i don't you know talk about these things then my people would not they would leave the church because i'm not talking about breakthrough and all that but the truth is that we are we are watering down the gospel of jesus christ jesus wants you to prosper he wants you to have breakthrough but what he wants more than your breakthrough and your prosperity is that you live for others first commandment thou shalt love the lord your god with all your heart blah 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 second you shall love your neighbor as yourself you shall love your neighbor as yourself love god love others it's if you want to sum up christianity it's that simple if you love god and love others you're a christian <laughs> if you do anything else if you speak in tongues for money tonight and you don't love god and you don't love others you're not a christian if you read your bible font to cover every month and you don't love god and love others you're definitely not a christian what defines christianity jesus said let me sum it up for you because you guys are confused by all these 600 plus laws of moses it's simple if you love god in a particular way and if you love your neighbor as yourself you're good you're okay in my books so are you okay in his books not either or it's both so not i love god but i don't i can't deal with people <laughs> no not i love others but i don't know about this god he says both you love god if you love others you are a christian and love is measured on the scale of sacrifice by the way so you cannot say you love someone if you haven't sacrificed for them you cannot say you love God if you haven't sacrificed for him. You cannot say you love other people if you haven't sacrificed for them. So Paul says to us in Romans, also Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, I'll read a couple of scriptures to you and I'll go into some cool stuff. Be kindly affectionate to one another, NKJV, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another. With brotherly love, giving preference to one another. First Corinthians 10 and 24, he says, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Other people. It's about others. Once you've sorted out your relationship with God, the next thing you need to sort out is your relationship with others. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. And so, <laughs> obviously, this is not natural right because we have a sin nature that makes us selfish but when you give your heart to jesus like i said one of the things that happens to you is the holy spirit comes and indwells you and this holy spirit has one objective to help you basically okay help you in many different ways but one of the things he's meant to help you do is to become like jesus is to help christ become formed in you 
is to con help you conform to the image of Jesus. Is to help you to conform to the Lord. All right. He helps you. He helps you. He's giving so that you can start to have that understanding. So that you can start to live for others. All right. And so even the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not for you. Anybody who, anyone who operates in the gifts of the Spirit. So the gift of healing, the discerning of spirits. All right. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, gift of faith, working of miracles, you know, interpretation of tongues and tongues. When you operate in the gifts of the spirit, 95 percent of the time, it's for the benefit of other people. If you have the gift of healing, for example, OK, and you're sick, you would be shocked that it doesn't work for you. <laughs> the gift of the spirit are usually given to you for the benefit of other people just like everything that god gives you most times it's primarily for the benefit of others you can receive healing whether you have a gift of healing or not but you receive it the way everybody else received it by faith then you need to operate by faith you need the word of god you need to pray and all that stuff so you can be healed but the gift of healing in operation you will find it when it's you're doing it for other people it's usually for other people and so you can even do the most spiritual things like prophesy like preach the word and do it for self. And this is where it gets dangerous because I'm talking to some people today who are Christians. You've been in church for a while. Some of you are brand new to church. Some of you are trying to figure it out. That's okay too. But you can even do the most spiritual things. For example, like pray. Prayer is spiritual. There's nothing natural about prayer. It's a spiritual adventure. You can pray and you're doing it for self. Because when I look at your prayer points, I can tell how spiritual you are by listening to your prayer points. I can assure you. If you pray 10 hours a day, I doubt that you do. But let's assume you pray 10 hours a day. If I listen to your prayer points and out of the 10 hours a day, more than half, more than half, this is my personal assessment, is about yourself and the things you need, you're not very spiritual. Half. That's it. You're not very spiritual. 90%, most people, 95% of their prayer points are about themselves. You can do spiritual things for self. Or you can give for self to be recognized. You can give to be honored. And you get upset when they don't recognize you're giving. You can pastor for self. You can pastor for, for prestige. You can pa pastor to make a name. You can do the most spiritual things and not do it for others. And that's why we always have to check our hearts and check our motives when we work with the Lord. Because why are we doing the things that we're doing? You can attend church for self. I want to meet my friends. Okay? I want to, I want to see my friends on Sunday. I don't want to be at home. It's going to be boring at home. You know, and so on and so forth. You can do all that for self. But you see, the ministry of Jesus was very potent. Very, very potent. Because he was always thinking about other people. Compassion was his driving force. And I remember, I remember a few, few months ago, about a couple months ago, when God started talking to me about some of the things that he wants to do in our city and some of the events that we're going to, you know, you know do that had nothing to do with me personally i'm like look this is not my problem but I, I started to realize okay this is my problem let's do something about it but god said to me before you start praying about these events make sure you carry the burden first so my first prayer was god give me a burden because i know that once i have a true burden for the people the rest is easy god give me a burden and i i started to understand that that's how jesus operated he had a true burden true compassion he was moved to tears his emotions were invested and because of that, you could see how potent his ministry was. It was about others. You know, there's this joke about, you know, when you go on a plane. I'm sure most of you have been on a plane. And if you haven't been on a plane, you're, you're suspect because you might have been moving around in other ways. Anyways, when you go on a plane and they give you the safety briefing before the plane takes off, they tell you, pay attention, this is important. One of the things they tell you is that if we lose pressure, okay, in a cabin for any reason, that these oxygen masks are going to drop from the ceiling of the plane. They tell you, make sure you put on your mask first before helping others. <laughs> There's actually a saying in my, you know, where, where part, part I'm from in southwestern Nigeria, that, you know, if, if you're on fire and somebody else is on fire, that you first attend to the fire that's upon you before you deal with the fire that's on somebody else. And I understand that principle and I get it. But what Christians are doing is not that we're putting on the oxygen mask first and then we help other people because that's what they ask us to do in those safety briefings when we're on the plane. Every time I hear it, I actually laugh a little bit because, yeah, like, duh, that's what I'll do. Um, but what Christians are doing is this. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay, even from a scriptural point of view, because think about the oxygen as the life of Christ, okay? You want to be saved? 
once you're saved the next thing is that you want to give somebody else the life of christ that you have you want to become contagious you want to help other people to know christ but what christians do is this pay attention we put on the oxygen mask the other person right next to us is panicking the plane is about to crash and you're like oh let me quickly finish my breakfast let me eat my meals oh hostess can i have some extra wine or something can i drink you know can i have some orange juice and stuff and let me finish my meal and this person is here dying <laughs> next to you and you're like let me sort myself out so it's not just about survival it's about i want to be okay i want to be perfectly fine let there be no issues in my life then i can think about other people's problems all right and the person next to you is there gasping for air and you're like just hold on let me just finish my steak all right this is really important and god is saying to us that that's not how we're meant to live all right that's not how we're meant to live we're meant to live for other people we're meant to live for others so why don't we think of others why is it so difficult to live for others sounds simple what i'm saying but guess what a lot of us know that we're convicted in our hearts right now by this one of the reasons why it's difficult to live for others and the foundational reason is because of our sin nature obviously our sin nature brings upon us a dimension of selfishness that is unreal and so that's why when the holy spirit comes into our heart when we meet the lord he starts making us to look like jesus he starts to strip us away of selfish tendencies starts to strip us away strip from us all the all our our tendencies our leanings to be selfish and self-centered he starts to open your eyes to real problems that other people have so that you can forget about yourself and you can focus on jesus and focus on other people that's one of the things that happens when you're a christian christ becomes that formation it's not going to happen overnight no one nobody gives their life to jesus and then by the next morning christ has been formed in their hearts they're like oh everything that they want to do is what jesus would have done no you're going to have to walk through it you go through seasons where the holy spirit keeps reminding you you have an anger issue you need to fix this problem and then when he strips you of that he reminds you of the next thing and so that's why you never stop growing in god because when you think you just conquered one and which is good he starts to point out other aspects that you weren't looking at in your life and you start to work on that by the help of the holy spirit so you're being transformed you're conforming to the image of jesus christ is being formed in you so our sin nature is the primary reason why we are selfish selfishness is a fruit of the sin nature and selflessness is the epitome of being christ-like number two why why is it that we struggle to think about others it's because we have our own problems like duh i've got my own problems pastor seriously i'm i'm still trying to figure myself out just like that plane that's about to crash and you you get your oxygen mask and all that i have my own problems i have my own issues and that's true you have your own issues but let me tell you the bad news okay and i'll tell you the good news later the bad news is that on this side of eternity you would always have something you're trusting god for there will never be a time where you don't have a prayer point and i'm sure you realize that already so yes you have your own issues and god is aware that you have your own issues like joseph joseph had his own problems showed up in prison he had no reason to be in prison he did nothing he could have been like just whining oh god you're so unfair these people have done you know they've treated me badly this is not right blah 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 he was in prison with no date of release so he didn't know when he was going to come out of prison he had real that is a real problem i would say but the bible says in the midst of his problems he saw people that had problems of their own and he was able to detach himself to put himself aside for a minute to un, you know <laughs> to un, leave himself aside and address the issues of other people why because we are meant to live for others i know you have your own child i know you're looking for a job i know i know that things are hard i know that you have prayer points of your own i know you're dealing with your own days when you're gloomy and things are not so bright for you i know you have challenges of your own i know that but that is not an excuse with god because you would always have a need and if you're waiting for the day when everything is perfect with you before you help someone else you will never help someone else i have my own problems and so some of us are really captives of our own self-centeredness because if joseph had never helped the baker and the butler he would never have come out of prison for some of us the problems we're going through and this is the word of god to someone here the problems you're going through have lingered because you refuse to put it aside and still be a blessing to other people so you have increased the days of your captivity if joseph said look i don't have time for anybody's problem let me just face god let me just fast and pray let god just attend i need to get out of this prison oh god deliverance liberation it comes now pastor preached about deliverance last week i must be delivered this prison door open 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 by fire open 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 by thunder okay 
if he was doing all that, the people that needed help in his vicinity, the butler and the baker who had dreams and were confused and they had long faces, he would not have attended to them. But he did not know that the door, the key to his own prison being, you know, prison um, term expiring, or the expiration of his term in prison was in the hands of somebody else. For many of us, we have lingered in issues in captivity because we are fixated on our issues instead of us to put it aside and be a blessing to somebody else. Your time in prison would have expired if you lived by this principle. Live for others. Live for others. Jesus lived upon the earth and he had a big problem. Now, you might think that Jesus had no problems because that's what we're made to think. Oh, Jesus had no problems. He just knew how to make everything happen for himself. If he needed something, he knew how to pray. He could ask the Father. That's fantastic. But do you realize that Jesus was living with a death sentence? Jesus, from the day he was born, or let's, say, let's put it this way, from the day he became mature and came into realization of his destiny and purpose, he was living with a death sentence hanging over his head. He was on death row. I think that's a massive problem. Can you imagine someone who's walking the streets knowing that one day I will die? Soon, soon, very soon I will die. I'll die in my prime. I'll die at 33 years old. He was living with a death sentence. Can you imagine <laughs> when people get a death sentence from the doctors, right? The first thing they do is that they go make a bucket list and let me figure out all the things that I, 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 I wanted to do before I leave this earth. Not many people get a death, you know, a death sentence all right, or and start to think, hmm, what can I do for other people? No, as a matter of fact, one of the things that happens is that you become very, you start, you become very introspective. You start meditating and say, hmm, my life, my life. You get, you start becoming a philosopher. You become very deep. Well, for Jesus, he had a, a death sentence on his life, but that was not enough to stop him from being passionate about others. He was extremely passionate about others. Jesus went about, the Bible says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. He went about doing good, okay? Healing everyone that was oppressed because God was with him. He went about doing good in spite of his challenges. He knew, he knew, he knew he was going to die a gruesome death. He knew that the people were going to betray him. He knew that he was heading into a season of significant suffering and betrayal and emotional hurt and, and trauma but he was still able to focus on other people it, it was an addiction to him others your problems are not that big that you will never be able to look at other people and be of help to them i know you have your own problems why don't we help people we believe someone else would do it this is what most of us are guilty of you're going down the street you see someone who needs help you assume that someone else is going to come and do it and so because someone else is going to come and do it then you move on but if everyone thinks like that Ask yourself, what if everyone was like me? When you ever get yourself, when you're face to face with some of those situations and you're just about to decide in your heart that someone else would do it. This is some, someone else would take care of this. If I don't do it, it's fine. It's okay. If I don't, if I don't make that phone call, it's fine. You know, Bishop is going to call that person or, or Bookie is going to do it or Pastor Tola is going to do it. Someone is going to do something. All right. What if everyone said that? It'll never get done. So don't defer. Don't. Don't defer and don't deflect. Don't push it out in time and don't deflect responsibility to someone else. You do it when you can. If everyone was like you, guess what? No one else is coming. No one else is coming. Another reason, why, <laughs> this is one of my, I like this one. Another reason why we, we, don't, we don't think about others is because people are bad. <laughs> Some of us say, look, I can't deal with people. It's just me and you, me, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. We just love each other. But people, I can't deal with people. People are bad. People are bad and they're not worth it. Because when you invest in people, a lot of times you get hurt. A lot of times you get disappointed. You get betrayed. And it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. People are bad. I mean, even Jesus said it that, look, <laughs> the Bible says the heart of man is desperately wicked. But guess what? Jesus knew more than anyone how bad man was. Jesus knew more than anyone how bad people were. But Jesus was also the one who did the most for humanity in all history. No one has ever done more than Jesus did for humanity. But he was the only person also who knew exactly how bad. Don't forget that. But Jesus had a, the ability to discern the thoughts of men. Many times in scripture, the Bible will say that Jesus knowing their thoughts. So can you imagine Jesus walks up to you on a Monday, you're just 
you know, just greeting him on the streets and you're saying, look at his, look at his long beard. And he can hear your thoughts. Probably Jesus knew what was in man. And that's why he did not commit himself to man. But he committed himself to live for man. People are bad. Pastor, I can't deal. I'm done. I've had enough. You think you know people? Jesus knew people more than you did. No one knew people more than Jesus. And yet he did more for people than anyone else. That's why. So how do we do this? How do we live for others practically? The first thing is remember the Lord's sacrifice. You know, it's easy for you to sacrifice for others when you remember what other people, are, what God has done for you. If you remember how bad you were and how bad you still are, <laughs> and yet he died for you, you will give grace. You will live for others. You know how sometimes you know that at four o'clock this evening, I'm going to commit sin. You, you know, can we be real? Can we talk? You know that at 4 p.m. I'm planning to do something that God will not approve of. You know. You know it. All the way through to 3.59, you're like, I will just ask for mercy. I know that God will forgive me. You take advantage of him. You're bad. You're bad too. But he would, if he could do it all over again, he will still die for you. So remember the sacrifice of the Lord. When you start thinking about the fact that people are bad and not worth my sacrifice, remember how bad you've been to God. Yet, he will do it over and over again. Remember how where he took you from remember where he found you remember that there is no sin you can come in there is no there is no extent there's no there's no depth you can fall to which jesus will not read down and pick you up there is no amount of dirt that's on you that jesus will not embrace you and clean you up so why then do we not give people grace remember the lord's sacrifice how do i live for others how pastor help me i really try but i struggle because people just live. remember the lord's sacrifice and remember, remember it relative to your actions. And remember it relative to your conduct. Very quickly, you, re you realize that you can give people more grace than you do. I like this one. If you, want, if you want to live for others and you want a constant reminder, just remember, remember what true greatness is. Hmm. Remember what true greatness is. Because when we say someone is great, God has a different definition of greatness. The people that we call great in the eyes of God might not be great at all. God might not even see them. The people that are really great in the eyes of God, you find them in Matthew chapter 20. What is it that registers with God? What is it that God respects? Matthew chapter 20 from verse 25. I read Passion Translation because it's very modern in the way it explains this. It says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to the side and said, now this is what has happened before this. Two of his disciples, James and John, came to him and said, they lobbied their mom, hired their mom to come and convince Jesus. They said, look, when you get to your kingdom, let my sons, one of them sit on your right, one on your other hand. And Jesus says, <laughs> you're jokers. Do you know, do you, are you able to drink of the cup, all right, and of the baptism of which I will drink, blah, blah, blah. Jesus gives them this, this, <laughs> this uh, I, I want to call it a parable, which is prophetic, by the way. And so after that, there is a dispute among the disciples about who will be the greatest. Sounds like what we do, right? Who would be the greatest? Who, was, who would have the highest honor? Who would have the greatest recognition? Who? And the Bible says that Jesus, knowing their thoughts. Remember I talked about that before? Knowing their thoughts. He called them from the, to his side and he said to them, Kings and those with great authority in this world, they rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. But this is not your calling. Tell someone, this is not your calling. This is, this is, can you tell them this? In the chat, this is not your calling. This is not your calling, all right? Some of you are looking for your calling. I can tell you what your calling is not. This is not your calling. Then he goes on to say, you will lead by a completely different model. The greatest one among you will live as the one who is called to serve others. The greatest one among us will live as the one who is called to serve come up with that when i when i get a calling from god then i'm going to have a, uh, you know a protocol with three cars i'm going to be prophesying accurate prophecy accurate prophecy and this one will drive me and that one will carry my bible and now i'll carry my ipad and now i will shine my shoes god is saying look the greatest the calling that is the greatest is the person who is called to serve to serve others others because 27 the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one who has the heart of a servant so that tells us how god thinks how god bestows honor upon people he says that if he sees a person 
that has the heart of a servant who lives for others he says that that person has honor with me that person has authority with me i will bestow upon that person authority and that's why jesus was anointed like i said because he had a heart for other people i bestow upon you authority the one who serves others the one who serves others so if you want stature with Jesus, you want God to recognize you, you want to be great in the sight of God, not just in the sight of men, in the sight of God, because that's what really matters. You want to hear on that day, ah, welcome, good and, good and faithful servant, not just welcome, but you, you don't belong to this class of people. You are in a special category of people. Live for others. That's how. Remember and remind yourself of what true greatness is. True greatness is not in how much you have. Nobody cares if you have four Teslas in different colors particular billionaire in um, my home country just passed away um, this week due to COVID, I was told. And, you know, this man had, I think he had like 11 Rolls Royce. I think he was said to be the world's largest collector of Rolls Royce. And he had them in different colors and all that. You know, that's great. I'm sure he was a great man. I have nothing against him. And my heart goes out to his family. But God is not impressed by that. Actually, the Church of Christ is, should not be impressed by that. It's strange how the body of Christ now recognizing people, recognizes people for earthly things and earthly things. No. We should recognize people for the service that they offer. How many lives are impacted by them? How many people go to bed at night thanking God because you exist? That should be the mirror that by which you me- by which you measure impact. How? How? How do I live for others? The third way: listen and walk with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, "As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God." As you as you become a child of God and you start to walk with the Lord, you must learn to walk practically with God. This is important. This is part of your spiritual life as you grow practically day by day, night by night with the Lord in the simplicity of it. I'm telling you, you know, God is not complex at all. And following Jesus is not difficult at all. It is in the simplicity. You're looking for the thunderings and the lightnings and the shakings and the vibrations of the spirit. Whereas in the simplicity of it, God is moving. Listen to the still small voice practically and daily you would find out if you're being honest with yourself and i I need a couple of witnesses if you have ever been there that if you're truly living and walking you know with the holy spirit the majority of things that the holy spirit will put upon your heart have nothing to do with you that's i was shocked this was one of my biggest shocks when i became a christian i I believe that this was a god of breakthrough i'm serving i'd say god cannot but he's not a god of breakthrough he's a god of love (laughs) first all right so i was shocked that i thought that the moment i start walking when i can I confess, when I gave my heart to Jesus, I was trusting God for the Holy Spirit. Not well, first, I didn't understand that the Holy Spirit had already come and indwelled me and all that. But I was also looking to, mm, when I received the gift of the Holy Spirit, they said that the Holy Spirit knows secret things. That the first thing the Holy Spirit would tell me is, you know, buy this land because there is, an, there is oil, you know, there's crude oil here. There's gold deposits in this land. I thought the Holy Spirit would lead me to millions and billions. Like, I was trusting that I would just see it. I would have a dream. I would just have a vision. And I started becoming shocked. That things that the Holy Spirit was pointing out to me had absolutely nothing to do with money or my well-being. Most times it would be something completely random and completely strange. First thing he would do is he would point out your flaws. Subtly. Not condemning. He would just point out you need you need to work in it. You know, you need work in this area. You need to pay attention to this. And if you're not sensitive in the spirit, most of you. You will not even know that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you. You just you just go about it. But the, when you're listening to the small and the subtle things and hints that he's bringing your way, you realize that he's interested in you, but really everything he's doing in you is to prepare you for how to help other people. And I was like, Jesus, I'm still trusting God for that oil well. I haven't seen any vision about any land that has oil. Not yet. Maybe it will come after I've been faithful. Walk with the Holy Spirit practically. You know, a few, a few, a few days ago, not even weeks, days ago now, a few days ago, I had, you know, the Lord showed me that there was a particular pastor. I don't know this. I know this pastor, but I don't know him. I have no relationship. I don't have his phone number. He doesn't know me. He would never recognize me if he sees me or anything like that. But just a, a pastor who is a bit popular. And the Lord showed me that he's going, you know, he was going to lose a son. Oh, and I started praying, fasting about this matter, you know. And I, I realized also that one of the reasons why God would do those things and show you certain things is he wants to trust he wants to judge your faithfulness and if he sees you've been faithful you know in little things then he can increase your authority i'm like this doesn't have anything to do with me 
nothing nothing i have no connection um to this individual but the lord showed it to me and i started to pray started to pray and that's how god works most of the things the holy spirit will do in your life are along those lines so for some of you right now as i'm speaking to you i can actually see that for some of you some things are coming back to your mind like oh that's what god was doing but you were too busy you're too self-absorbed you were busy with your challenges and the things that were going on in your life and in that season that you missed it completely walk with god simply practically just live and walk with the holy spirit i hope that makes sense number four how 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 do i live for others number four baby steps and little things that's that's lyrics right there. that's deep baby steps and little things baby steps and little things sometimes it's in the little things pay for someone's groceries help an old lady carry her groceries do something kind for somebody else it's sometimes in the little things sometimes in the little things and as you do that more and more you're stripping yourself of that selfishness you will never strip yourself of selfishness until you start to act with selflessness say that again selfishness does not just go no matter how much you pray one of the biggest cures for selfishness is when you start to take little acts of selflessness so if you say i'm having problems in my life i can't i don't have time to help other people let me solve my own problems first really though but you know that <laughs> other problems are lining up right so baby steps and little things be encouraging be encouraging be a shoulder make a difference make little things and baby steps you know about someone who's going through a bit of a challenge person might not even be your, your direct friend you just heard from someone you heard from someone or a friend of a friend pick up the phone call the person and say i just want to say i just want to pray with you if you don't mind some of you get random voice notes from me at strange hours sometimes you know random days random it's just a voice note i just say i just i just felt like i should pray for you i just felt led to pray for you imagine i kept quiet do the same for others be encouraging be encouraging you of us take ourselves too seriously you think that you are a mini god like it's all about me if god doesn't solve my problems i don't have time for other people you will be there for a long time it will you, you know what you will gray with some of those issues because that's not the way god works that's not the way god works one of the things that opens doors with god is sacrifice not just sacrifice unto him sacrifice for others opens doors for you clear your, your neighbor's driveway shovel his snow do something little things baby steps <laughs> every sunday we say invite a friend to church share this link we can't be bothered at all like please what's, what's that got to do with me what do i care if someone else hears a word that might bless them i think you, you you sometimes we assume that we're saying that so that oh you know the preacher maybe pastor Tala can become very popular when she delivers a hot sermon she become popular mm -hmm. you mis you misunderstand little things baby steps pray for someone sometimes you don't have to call the person and pray for them in your closet pray for someone pray for someone you know you if, you if you're not seeing other people's problems it means that you're not sensitive to the holy spirit every child of god must have a sensitivity in him that allows him to understand or see or perceive that someone is going through challenges and pray i've had people in church walk up to me and say pastor i just perceive that you know you've had a rough week and i think that you're going through some challenges right now you just just let you know that we're praying for you and i'm the pastor i'm like you know what please keep praying pray english pray tongues pray any other language you know i appreciate your prayers because you don't know the battles i have fought that week you have no clue be a blessing be a blessing i tell people all the time for me the people that love me, I believe the people that love me are people that pray for me, not the people that text me. I'm, t I'm just being serious. The people I really love are the people I'm praying for, not the people I'm texting, personally. If I'm texting you, that's good. I like you. But if I'm, because prayer is a big sacrifice. I don't know about you. It's a sacrifice. If I go on my knees and I'm doing, uh, walking all over the place, calling your name before the Lord, it's because I truly love you. So check your, who are you praying for? Are you praying for yourself alone or your family alone? No no that's not christianity look at the early church look at the people who brought the gospel to you know africa some of them hugged their families and said a final goodbye many of them knew 
they would never return but they still came why so that you and i can have hope of meeting jesus because you never know how far your sacrifice is going to go imagine they all said africa third world no mosquitoes we're, do- we're not going imagine many of you would still today this morning you would have woken up you would have bowed down to an idol i guarantee that people like you know people came at the risk of their life some people brought their whole families with them family of six and only two survived for the sake of this gospel but we are too it's too nonchalant we are too we don't care that's not Christianity. Let the Spirit of God in you come alive again. Let Him start to poke those places that allow you to live further. Baby steps, little things. Invite someone to church. Share the link. Pray for a friend. Whether they know it or not, you're not doing it for the recognition. You're doing it because you want to. You feel led to do that. Last thing. How do I live for others? Please, please don't cause others to stumble. Live responsibly. God will, as a matter of fact, in Mark 9 and 42, the Bible says that if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, if you are the reason why somebody else falls into sin, in other words, if you live carelessly, and living carelessly just means that you're not thinking about the fact that the things I'm doing, though I'm okay with it, are they, is it going to cause somebody else to sin? He says that it would have been better for you to be thrown into a sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Live responsibly don't cause others to stumble that's how you live for others you might have come to a place of revelation that god doesn't care about this but what if another person is struggling brother in church closes his eyes he's praying this guy has been he's been binding the spirit of lust for the past three months all of a sudden he seems like he's having victory over this this lost issue and then it is in the church in the church it's a sister in the church that that the enemy uses to throw him back into loss he opens his eyes after he prays like oh holy spirit what is this do not cause another person to stumble live not don't say this is what i like to wear don't say this is where i like to go no 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 it has nothing to do with what you like know your rights paul says but live for others no it's it's fantastic you know your rights but he says your rights don't mean squat live for others i know we are offended by that like how come i like i feel like i'm being a no 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 god doesn't care about your rights let me tell you that right now god cares how you sacrifice for other people don't cause other people to stumble if you have a friend who's been struggling he doesn't want he's been saying he doesn't want to go to the club like like my own fantastic friends were when i was trying to break free from clubbing don't be the one calling him on friday night saying uh how far what are we doing this weekend not not your business don't ask him if you want to do something you carry your bag Go to his house, watch a movie, play games, have game night and go because you are trying to live for others. You're doing the things you're doing because you're thinking, how would it help this person on their faith journey? For some of us, it's actually our quote-unquote spirituality that turns some people away from Jesus. And we do it with the religious spirits (laughs) that we have. Live for others. If you have a roommate, don't start blasting tongues. Your roommate is not saved. Don't start fighting with your roommate. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, Holy Spirit. Every week, because you decide you want to pray in tongues at night, and then you disturb him or her. That person will never follow Jesus. No. No. You can pray in tongues quietly. You don't, you, it's not until you shout. It's not that, that, that God hears. You can pray in tongues under your, under your covers, under your breath. Most times, pray in tongues. These days, because I have to preach and you know, a strain on my voice and all that. If I if I have to pray for long hours, I try to pray silently. Doesn't mean that you're not praying. Do not cause other people to stumble. What you post on social media, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're right. What does it make other people stumble? Ask yourself before you do it. What I'm about to do right now, is this edifying? Would it cause another person to stumble? Paul said, my little children, my dear ones, for whom I labor again, again. I birthed you once, but I'm trying to birth the character of Christ in you. I'm trying to birth spiritual maturity in you. I'm trying to birth stature, stature and honor with God in you. It says that until Christ, another translation says, is fully developed in you. 
until Christ is formed in you. And as Christ is being formed in you, one of the things that the weight of selfishness, you will start to think of yourself as being unimportant. Selfishness dies. Selfishness dies. From today, my prayer for you is that God starts to do a work in you that causes you to live for others in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that the grace to live for other people will come upon you, that when people see you, people experience you, they will thank God for you. There will be people who will be thanking God for your life before they go to bed in the name of Jesus. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.